Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Hey, Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. How you doing? Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sitting down with Tom Schneider, stuck in the rut. I think you guys have probably been to their YouTube channel, chances are, and if you haven't, you definitely want to check them out. It's kind of one big family that documents everything from Alaska to North Idaho and all across the, everywhere out west. Basically, they're all killers, and it's a pretty cool guy. We're bringing on Tom. He is responsible for the day-to-day at Stuck in the Rut, and uh, you should follow them on Instagram as well. We've got, uh, I've actually hunted with his brother-in-law, Adam, and Adam's been on the podcast. We went down to, oh, good old Arizona back when you could draw that tag and did a little archery elk hunting. And um, yeah, so these guys are cool, but we're bringing on Tom and what we're talking about is basically wolf hunting. Um, this time of year, I think folks are kind of looking forward to the spring, but a lot of these diehard wolf hunters and trappers, they're out there crushing it February, March, when you know, the the wolves are in their mating season and they, they males can become very aggressive and they can disperse. So, yeah, it's a huge uh, it's a huge issue for Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and, you know, hopefully not Colorado. But, I mean, wolves are going to be in your neck of the woods if they're not already. I mean, they're in Oregon, they're in Washington, they've been in California. And so, yeah, it's just a matter of time. So, kind of addressing management practices and things like that. But 
I like Tom. I like his family. I like how hard they work on their hunts. And so we're going to bring him on today and just kind of dive into what is stuck in the rut, how they're doing as far as getting the whole program put together for the outdoor industry, as well as long range shooting. We don't get into his big bull story, but he did kill like a big six or seven point this year in Idaho. And then um, lots of wolves. This guy's killed wolves with bows, uh, guns, you name it, calling them in, stalking them. So really sharp guy. As far as exciting news with Elk Shape, uh, we're looking forward to going to Wisconsin. That's in a couple weeks. We're going to do Elk Shape Camp 7.0 lacrosse. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to pay a visit to Vortex headquarters when I'm there, as well as Matthew's headquarters. And we're going to bring that on our YouTube channel. We are blowing up YouTube right now with two or three good videos a week. Got my buddy Tim helping me out with that. At the end of the month, we got our intern starting up. So we're excited about YouTube content, Instagram content, podcast content, and then I'm actually trying to get the dust off my computer and do a little bit of more uh, writing and whatnot. But if you if you dig the content, follow along, tell your friends, spread the good word, and uh, everything we do in the name of better elk hunting and preparation. Uh, appreciate you guys. Remember, separation is in the preparation. And uh, enjoy this episode. Hello, Tom. What up? Hey, not too much. How are you? Hey, good, good. Busy day. Yeah, no, everything's great. Just taking it easy today. You got good internet or using cell phone? What are you using? I am using a cell phone right now. How does it sound? It sounds really good, actually. Okay, good. I didn't know if you were up there in Bonners or Moye or where you're living. Yeah, I'm in Bonners right now, um, and I'm in the room. I could I could slightly hear the kids in the other room, but I I think I think it's good. I think we're good. Yeah, I don't hear them. Okay. But you may end up hearing my kids. <laughs> we got an hour till bedtime. Dude, so I'm ready to catch up with you. Um, I think I met you uh, actually while hunting. You may have. I, I may have. Um, but that was a long time ago. And then mutual friend, uh, Kenton from Train to Hunt. And then try to think, had your brother Travis on the podcast and been following stuck in the rut forever just because you guys are awesome oh thanks and here we are so let's uh i'll have you introduce yourself since um you probably know a little bit more about yourself than i do <laughs> <laughs> okay no that's fine um yeah so realistically i i just grew up in the outdoors up here in idaho and my dad is, you know, a full-time logger ever since I was a kid. We spent a lot of time in the outdoors with our dad. Um, just because we lived out here, my dad's logging job seemed to be actually a really good spot to hunt wildlife because the wildlife tend to like the, the moss. And shed hunting, hunting, you name it. We just lived and loved the outdoors. And Trav and I both really avoided sports. We really did not ever take the time or enjoyed playing basketball, football, or anything like that. The outdoors was our sport and we, we lived and loved it. I think myself though, I was a bit more of a, you could say I was kind of an animal. I don't say enthusiast, but I, I just really loved learning about wildlife growing up. It just as a kid, just always watching discovery channel and stuff. And I think I just tied that in with hunting and that's made me a better hunter. And I, I learned a lot from Travis. 
I will say that Travis always had the natural ability to take quick shots, to take, to be able to find the animals, to be really successful. And for myself, it didn't come out naturally. And so it took a long time to learn. And if I didn't make the shot, Travis is going to make the shot. So I had, if I was ever going to have any success whatsoever, I was going to have to pull the trigger and be quick at it. And over time, through practice with archery and rifle, I feel like I can, I'm matched up with him now and we make a great team. Oh, no doubt. There's a lot there, man. I mean, you and Trav are a great team. You guys started stuck in the rut a long time ago. And since then, I haven't even been to your YouTube channel, but I'm sure you guys have a ton of subscribers. But more importantly than all that, you guys have some really cool, authentic videos from an area that's really hard to get good content from in thick, brushy, nasty, timbered up North Idaho, where, you know, there's not a 300 bull around every corner. You know what I mean? And we got this wolf issue, which we're going to get into and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So whose idea was stuck in the rut and how has the growth, you know, been take us through your journey of learning the school of hard knocks of recording, hitting the record button, taking into the post production, trying to make videos and, and then obviously run a YouTube channel. And, um, anytime you post anything about a dead wolf, boy, you are going to get it. And so I would love to talk about all that. Awesome. I'd say it was about 2008 when we actually got in the film. I mean, we, there's just so many, so many crazy scenarios that you experience in the thick timber country, if it's in Montana or Idaho. And there's just so many times where you just would have thought, you know what, that would have been a crazy video. I mean, some of these stories that these things that happen to us in the woods, if it's like predators or, or just crazy experiences, we don't have it on film. So some of these stories were so hard to believe, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and so we decided to start capturing, capturing some of our footage. And 2008 was about the time Travis ran one of those big, big old cameras. I don't even remember what it was called. It took a tape. I don't even know what it is. Just like a little tape that you put in there. And we tried to film a moose hunt and Travis and I both killed our moose with our tree. And the hardest thing about it, it's hard to dedicate the camera when, when you're in all that action. And so we both did not get that moose, that moose hunt on video, either of our moose. And Trav started, he came up with a plan to start stuck in a rut probably around 2010. But, what really was the big turn for us was 2011 when we started really figuring out what to do with the camera. You have to dedicate the video camera. It takes just a second for the camera guy to get on the animal and then to be able to pull the trigger. And the other thing is too, it takes a lot of humility with it. It was easy for Trav and I to split up when we go hunt in the woods. It's like, you go this way, I'll go this way and we can cover more ground. But when you're actually filming, one guy has to put his gun aside and hold the video camera and follow the other guy hunting. And just because Trav and I grew up together and we, you know, more than just brothers, we became friends, you know, just long, you know, really good friends that 
we wouldn't fight over who's the next person to kill the animal. We'd be, I'd be just as happy for the success of my brother as if I was the one pulling the trigger. And so I would dedicate the camera until Travis would harvest his animal. Then he'd be the cameraman and film me until I'd harvest my animal. And that really helped us too. But we also did get some professional advice from Gunworks. That's when we really started to get in the long range hunting. We Trav picked up a, a 338 Ultra Mag. Oh, sorry. Uh, we actually first started off with a 7mm from Gunworks and we used their equipment and they asked us to bring them footage and they gave us advice on how to film. And that's where it really started. And that's where our name started too, just because um, Gunworks had leverage. They already had a following and we didn't. But long range was still somewhat new. I didn't even hear a whole lot about long range hunting during that time. And I'd say between us, and I know Gunworks and uh, Best uh, best of the West yep. had footage. I mean, we were, I'd say we're, we were one of the first that were actually capturing some of this footage. And like you were saying, nobody was catching, capturing this timber, these timber hunts, um, timber pounding for elk and mule deer. Uh, you know, all we saw on the, on the Sportsman channel were people sitting in tree stands and waiting for a deer to walk by, which nothing against that. It just wasn't our type of hunting and it was hard for us to relate. And I think that was helpful for a lot of people because a lot of people can relate to those type of hunts. And those were the hardest hunts to capture because everything happens so fast. Oh, I know. Right. So let's, let's go ahead and back up a little bit. So this, we do talk about elk hunting on this podcast and dude, you've put down some hammer bulls, especially the one from 2019 which we will go into because I can totally relate to that bull specifically because we hunt similar country and quite honestly, uh, I teach elk hunting at, at these elk shaped camps. I work with like, uh, Joel Turner on elk calling Dirk Durham, Jason Phelps. These guys are awesome, but you run their systems in a lot of places in North Idaho. You're going to be super frustrated. Some of these more mature big bulls, they absolutely want nothing to do with a bugle. And they literally, if you want them to go 180, they will. So that's a little prelude to that story. We will get to it. But, Tom, take us to, like, your first go at archery elk hunting. Did you start out having the success? Like, I think I remember your brother did pretty well when he was, like, 14. But, like, how did your process shake out, so to speak? I think I one thing that was helpful for us, and we were more fortunate than others, is that we grew up around elk. My dad built a cabin at the base of a mountain and every winter we'd have elk that would pull down roughly between October later. And, you know, during that time, you know, we would actually be quite successful in hunting, as you can tell, because we were just right there in a corridor. We lived right in the corridor. And a lot of people use that. A lot of people that knew us use that as an excuse that, hey, these guys, the only reason why they're successful is they they live in an area where a lot, you know, where elk are pulling into. And... But what it did is it taught us a lot about elk. It taught us about their behaviors and how they act. You know, they weren't there in September, but they'd show up in October. And so you had to figure out, well, where are they at in September? They're on the top of a mountain, you know. And after that first snow, they pulled down. You know, these were things you we learned just just by living. And it came naturally. So I would say, and then just go going with my dad all the time. My dad would take us hunting before I was even old enough to hunt 
And I'd watched dad call in bull elk and I, those are still great memories. And so I already experienced calling in bulls before I was even the age of 12. Um, but like I said before, I, I didn't, I was actually quite weak. I will say about when I was age 13, I did harvest my first bull when I was 13, a nice six by six. Jeez. Yeah. But the one thing I will say is I just, I was a skinny little guy and I couldn't pull back a big bow. I couldn't do it. And I had to really work up to it, but I had this really small, I had this Hoyt that was like 40 pounds and my dad called in a bull right past me. This was probably during this time. I was probably 14 or 15. My dad called back, called a really nice six point. And I remember shooting and I remember that arrow taking a couple seconds to get to the elk because it was just so there's just no power to that bow. And it hit the elk right where he wanted it, but it only penetrated like two inches and the elk ran off. And as you can, and you know, I'm sure you know the rest of the story there. The elk never died. Yep. It ran right up the mountain, followed it. I mean, it was sickening to me. Um, and so I actually started to train um, to help me be strong enough to pull back a bow, you know, and for now I'm pulling back a 60 pound bow and then a 70 pound bow. I, I archered my first bull when I was 16. That was when I first archered my first bull elk. Um, I did archery a bear prior to that. But that was probably the most memorable thing to me because that's something I always wanted to do was harvest a bull elk. And then since then, it's just learning the language, really learning, you know, elk and how they work. But I had a lot of experience behind me already just from living around them, like I was saying. I mean, long story short, my parents sold that cabin and that land. And so we didn't have that wasn't an excuse that people could use anymore. We were still harvesting bull elk every year without that that piece of property, going up in public land and killing bulls. But I will say that that taught me a lot, just being around elk and just seeing them all the time and seeing how they'd act. Yeah. So with the time you like graduated high school, you kind of had an advantage. Like, like for me, when I was in high school, you know, I had two a days in August and I played football and Dude, I stopped hunting as soon as I hit high school. I mean, I really did from ninth grade to twelfth grade, never hunted. And I fortunately got to hunt, you know, a little bit in junior high or whatever, but it was in my blood. And as soon as I graduated high school, I was like, dude, I didn't I didn't pursue baseball and I just was like working a normal job and I was like, I wanna hunt. So for guys listening, like, you know, it's cool to be a hunter. And it, you know, sports isn't everything. Sports can be cool and teach you a lot, but did you did you just go crazy not having to be in sports in the in the fall and being in high school? Like, were you out every day after school and on the weekends and just getting getting after it? I mean, you learned. Ha, tell us about that learning process and just your four years of high school. Yeah, it would. Just, we literally would do that. And I always had this. I mean, we live in a small little town, and so for us, I was naive to like why we couldn't have guns at school. You know, I was just like, why can't we have guns at school? It's stupid. So I'd park my pickup just right off side campus there with my, with my gun or bow. And my friends would just drop me off at my pickup right when school got out. And I just head right up to the mountains ASAP. Um, and we do that every night. Wow. I mean, we treated it like it was sport, right? Like it was, it was a sport to us. And again, I had a lot of friends that did sports, so nothing against it. It's just, this was my sport and this is what I love to do. And 
I just, I wasn't that coordinated either. I mean, when it came to throwing a basketball in a hoop, stuff like that, I mean, but you know, we were actually, we're very, if you've seen our family, we're, we're a very built family when it comes to being lean, we're able to hike long distances. And that's, that's been our strength is that we've been able to, we can throw in the miles, we can hunt and we can pack out the meat. So definitely. Um, so I'm trying to think, I'm trying to paint a picture. So I went with Kenton back in the day. So this would be like circa, I want to say 2004 or five, maybe six too. But there was a few times where I would go with him and, and help him on an elk hunt or go scout up in your country. And he, dude, it was like the sickest elk country, man. It was just different. It was way different. And I can't say mountain ranges and all that kind of stuff nowadays, but it was, it was up there way north in Idaho. And it was loaded in elk. It was awesome. And there was a few grizzlies and stuff around, but definitely a lot of black bear. Um, and then, I don't know, I kind of lost touch. and I, I personally don't go up there and hunt. And then, man when did the wolves really take over and like run that place into the ground man it it really started i mean we i'd say my first wolf i saw was in 2006 we had a really good mule deer spot that our family pulled out a few nice bucks and it was a drainage it doesn't even matter you know you you don't always see a big buck but you would always see deer in this draw no matter what time of the day they'd bed down in these timber pockets and they come out and feed in the evening and there was just one day we were in there and it was next to the montana border and it was just silent it was just where where were the deer we had no clue what was going on and and i so trav he made he's like let's make some like let's make a sound see if we can get something moving you know we were just we're kids in high school we were, we were just getting a little Little antsy. I don't know, we, we, we just, yeah, a little antsy to get something. <laughs> and so we did, and a, and a wolf ran out of the timber right there. Um, big black one just ran right down the drum. We're just like, what the heck is that? It was 400 yards, and you could just see it playing as dead. I mean, that really put in perspective how big a wolf really is. And we kept on going up there, and we just started finding kills after kills after kills just on the road. They were just running the road and we go up there and there'd be a mule deer kill and it was a wolf pack killed it. And then we go and then they'd have it. They drag a, a moose paddle out in the, from the clear cut and drag it out in the road. And they were chewed up the moose paddle and then leave it. And they'd bring a whitetail to the, you know, it was just consistent. And, but you know, at that time we were still like, oh, dang wolves. But we were always taught to just not like predators period, but we didn't really know how bad wolves really were until I'd say about 2000, well, it was getting about 2011. Um, I, I was in Arizona for two years and I came back in 2011, about the time Travis really got into stuck in a rut, starting to grow. And, and I was asking, Oh, what about our good old favorite hunting spot that we Trav killed a big 360 bull and killed three bulls after that. And we had just this little honey hole. So I was like, Oh, since you've been gone in Arizona, we haven't, we haven't hunted it. It's like, what? Really? It's like, yeah. He's like, the wolves ran it out. And so I didn't believe him. I set motion cameras all over those wallows and nothing, nothing came in. Wow. 
And then that, that winter was the, you know, that was the first year they opened the wolf hunt. And I'd say like a lot of it all started for us anyways, it was the South East side of the Mont, you know, Montana there. Like it was just, they, they came from Montana and for what I've seen, I don't know what part of Montana they released them there, but it seemed like our, our East side there of Idaho is where the numbers really poured over in wolves and I was hearing wolves that that year I was I was archery hunting I actually did have a good a really successful archery season that year harvested two I I harvested two bulls that year with a, with a bow and and then I was trying to take out my sister to to look for to fill her freezer because she was in college and she was visiting for a short period of time and every time we walked out of our pickup wolves would just be howling just nonstop. And what we just did was the typical thing that other people are doing. We didn't like that the wolves are there, but we ignored the howls and tried to elk hunt or tried to, to deer hunt. And the howling just wouldn't stop. And the animals kept on running around. And we said, screw it. I'm going to try to kill one of these things. And so um, it was Thanksgiving Day. And we I borrowed my friend's predator call and set up in a clear cut and called, called out two wolves of gray and a black one. And I shot the gray one. And, and that actually really helped our YouTube channel for better or for worse. Like, I don't know what you would say. It's got a lot of haters, but got a lot of people that recognize this too. Um, but yeah, that's where it started, um, with the wolf hunting. And, but I'll tell you what, that whole East side of those, that mountain range on the East side of our town just be, became a dead zone mm-hmm. um not just with elk but moose we'd have although it was a tougher tag for moose to draw we were we were diehard moose shed hunters we would go up and just clean house on sheds about every drainage our family would pick up close between 15 to 20 moose paddles yep and er- areas <laughs> like that i mean this is not that long ago this is not even a decade ago and now you'll find luckily maybe one moose paddle and and then he'll get chased out because the wolf pack will move in. <laughs> yeah. It's Yeah, I've been in that mountain range and I remember being back in the day I was there. I mean, there was moose sign everywhere and I remember seeing like uh just how many just all the moose that get killed out of there. Just the big I mean, it was just like, wow, this is the trophy zone. And then I do remember seeing some of the pictures of you guys, your family shed pictures and it was just like mind blown. And uh, in 2011, I documented, um, a, you know, a whole, an entire wolf pack basically ruined my elk hunt. And I got pretty good footage of all the wolves. And that just, I think that's still the most viewed video on my channel. And um, gosh, I would, if I had hind, hindsight being 2020, I would have removed comments off that because that's, it's not a fun place to read comments. But yeah, a wolf video can bolster. So, what year did you kill your first wolf? It was 2011, first year they opened the season. Was that the yeah? That was about a season or two too late, honestly. Uh, if you ask me, and I find it funny that we're both 2011. We both got really good footage of wolves. You just happened to kill them. Uh, I had a bow with me at the time and a handgun, and I remember. Uh, gosh, we we did everything in our 
I had a hunting partner who had a tag, and so we did everything we could, but couldn't get it done. But man, if we had a rifle, it would have been like a nice little 200 yard shot. Yeah, that'd be great. Wouldn't it? So we've kind of talked a little bit about your elk hunting pedigree, but dude, you've killed a lot of bulls. And then I think I actually ran into you in like Avery, Idaho at the Avery store like 15 years ago. Yes, that was you and your brother. And you had pearly white teeth and Kenton would call you the Colgate brothers. Yeah, yeah. And I always laughed. I was like the Colgate brothers. But you guys were killers, man. You guys were just animals and still are. So as far as the hunting industry goes, are you guys making it a go to try to like get more into it? Or are you just kind of doing your hunts, filming for fun? Have you guys taken it uh, a leveled up on your business? Where are you guys at with that? We definitely have taken a leveled up on our business. So this, it really was this year we got together and just, we just chatted up and said, Hey, like, what do we need to do? What do we need to change? Um, and, and I'll say, I mean, it, and we all have our own opinions and, and that's good. Um, realistically and in, in Trav's standpoint is that he makes good enough money what he's doing so he can do it out for fun. And he's the owner of stuck and Rat. Um, but what he's doing now is he's allowing me, Adam Tana to also run it too. I mean, for me, myself, I want to make this a job i want to hunt for a living and be able to to incorporate my living with you know with what we do i mean we have the following and that's what you know that's the thing we have the following and there's people there's people that don't have near the following and they're making a full-time living and so what we're definitely not doing something right (laughs) and so we sat down and we just talked and and it was a great talk travis adam and tana when they were up and or down because they're from Alaska and we just, Hey, like, what should we do to grow stuck and rut? What, what should we do for work? This and that. And, you know, and we decided, you know, it's, it's tougher to pick sponsorships that way because, you know, Adam and Tana like one thing, I like another. And so we just have to agree on everything. And, and we just want to make sure that everybody knows we just don't, we don't want to be kiss ups. We don't want to fake ourselves. We don't want to say, Hey, I like this bow because this bow company's paying me. I we want to be real, um, and we don't do work with any companies that we don't like. If we don't like the company, and even if they give us a good offer, we would turn it down, and we have already. Um, and those are tough sometimes, but it's I don't want to walk up on the mountain with a sucky pair of boots. No offense, it's just that's just how we are. Well, that's good, man. Stay true to yourself. Um... I've had one foot in the industry and one foot out always just because I didn't want to slobber over the same bone as about who knows the other thousand people, you know, and it is a similar model where, you know, the 10% of the influencer ambassador, whatever, make majority of the dough and then everybody else is left to kind of fight over crumbs. Dude, I ain't fighting over crumbs. You know what I mean? That's not me. And so, yeah, stay true to your brands that you believe in. And you can turn to keep, you're going to be turning down a lot more companies, man. And it's really cool when you get with companies that are new, but you know, that's legit. And then you're with them for a long time. I, I found sick of gear in 2007 and it's just been awesome to be with them for so long because look at what they've done. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, the relationship part of it's interesting, but you guys definitely, you, you might want to maybe offline have me help you look at kind of like what your what your asks are because 
your following's awesome. Your content's better than anybody's out there because you're really living it. You're really out in the field all the time. I mean, seriously, Tom. Like you, uh, how many how many wolf tags did you punch in 2019? So I punched three. Yeah, I, that's um, pretty good, that's buddy. That's good for hunting. Yeah, um, I missed one though. <laughs> I missed, did you? I would have had four. <laughs> Dang it! Yeah, thankfully I had a friend with me, and he was able to to back me up and he made just a solid running shot um it it was just one of those situations where there was no way to get a good rest and 180 200 yards is not an easy freehand shot that and so we had to take the shot because it was staring right at us and so i my friend didn't see it at the time so i shot first and then when it was running across this meadow then he saw it and he made a solid running shot and super impressed and I got it on the GoPro, so I did post it on our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, besides that, I was able to harvest three. And I just, you know, realistically, I haven't put in the time in the wolf hunting as much as I should. And this year, I've, I've made a commitment. I'm actually going to take them, like one of the months that I'm hunting, I'm actually just going to specifically hunt wolves. Um, previously, I was just doing, okay, well, I filled my elk tag early. I filled my elk tag pretty early last year. And so I went wolf hunting and I was filling wolf tags. And, and so this year I want to do, I want to dedicate my time a little more into it. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to that in a second. So to wrap up that, like this podcast, I know you guys started a podcast. I'm going to provide a link for folks can check it out, but you got to check out their YouTube channel. You got to subscribe. It's just loaded in awesome hunts. These guys are amazing shots. I feel like we could go so many places with you, Tom. We could go long range shooting, how you evolved. But what I want to talk about is like, where are we at right now? 2020. So because you've spent so much time in the field and we're really kind of targeting your neck of the woods, what's the wolf like situation now from your perspective compared to 2011 when we first were able to hunt them? So I've noticed, well, just like any plague, it it eventually moved into the other mountains too. So our, you know, not just the east side of town, the west side of town, they've crossed into, well, they're, they're moving back and forth. We, Trav killed one that had a Washington fishing game color on it that was actually messing around with that endangered caribou. And so I'd say in comparison to now to then, they're spread out a lot more, but I will say because of some local trappers that have just gotten really skilled and figured out how to trap out entire packs that we've actually seen some of the east side of our area recover a tiny bit, not a lot, but it's like, okay, I'm start. look at that first elk truck I've seen in 10 years, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I set some motion cameras out and I actually got, you know, four decent bucks on, on motion cameras and I was blown away. I'm like, wow, that's, it's been a long time. I mean, when 2011, they just cleaned house on the whitetails that we used to have that lived on the base of the mountain. And, and it's good to see that there's a little bit of recovery. Um, I will say that it's getting pretty competitive with the wolf hunting and well, mainly the wolf trapping. Um, a lot of people locally here are there, there's a wolf trapper in every drainage. And when I was out wolf hunting, I'd bump into them and they're like, Hey, this is my drainage. I'm like, Hey dude, you're, we're all, we're all on the same team. Uh, we're all trying to get rid of the wolves. I'll, I'll let you do what you're doing. You're good at it. And so, 
Um, but you know, everybody's trying to help out each other. I mean, I'm not saying in a way to where everyone's super competitive, but when I see a roadkill, I'll take it up to a guy who needs it for, for his baits, you know, and they, they do need it. They, they consistently need a bait all the time at the crows and, and the eagles always clean up the bait sites. And so they need, they need more bait to bring in wolves and in the trap and they're doing really well. Um, one of our good friends is actually on number 11 this year. So he's, and this year he's really, he's really stepping up his game the last month. Now that it's not thought it's not freezing as much. He, he was at five for a while and he was getting a little discouraged. And then this past past month, he, he trapped six and he's, he's actually getting them pretty much every day. Now, every day I hear of a new one, he catches. So, so he's doing well, Yeah. but I will say, but I will say if, if anyone really wants to like, like, where do I need, where can I help? It's these back country areas like the Selway, Bitterroot Wilderness, um, like the Spring Church, the, the, the Clearwater. These are areas that are really hard for trappers to get to. And these are the areas where they need your help. We need your help. And, and even Montana, too. The thing that bothers me the most is like Montana so, regulates so much of their trapping that after the wolf trappers will pretty much clean house on the wolves a new wolf pack moves in. Yeah. They just backfill. Yeah. And so they just, it's just a never ending battle. And we need to, we need to help each other on each side of the border. Montana needs to help. Idaho needs to help. Um, and then just those times in the back country, we tried, Trav and I tried hunting the Selway and it was, it was, I thought we'd get better elk. It was worse just because the wolf trappers can't big, get back there. Um, we packed in 25 miles and hiked an additional 10 and we, it was, it was pretty embarrassing. I'll be honest. And the whole time we camped back there, we saw one little herd Trav shot the six by six. And I can't tell you how guilty we felt shooting that six by six, right? <laughs> like we should have, we, Travis just may have killed the only six by six on this mountain left. I mean, it was, there was, you can glass as far as the eye can see. And it was just so little elk out there. But I'll tell you what, wolf tracks on every single log, there's a pile of wolf crap there, a pile of wolf crap there. It was just just the standard story. Just a standard story. Yeah, that just sucks to hear, dude. And, you know, Washington's not doing you any favors either. Without with There is no management in Washington. So you know you're getting backfilled on your west side from Washington. You know, I had a... I had a moose tag in 2014, and it, you know, it's once in a lifetime, so I can say it was 1 1. And I was in there, and I went, I mean, I had, I don't hunt there, honestly. And so when I drew that tag, I was pretty stoked. And so I got done with my elk season. Uh, that was 14. I think I killed, yeah, I caught two bulls that year, elk. And then I went uh, towards the end of September and started, you know, started my moose hunt. And I was so gung-ho to get up in that north, north, west corner of Idaho and be real close to Washington and just, there's some, like, ridiculously beautiful country, as you know. Ghost town. Wolf scat, wolf track, ghost town, wolf scat, wolf track, wolf's howling. And, man, I after three days, I was like, I'm not even going to get this. Uh, I'm not going to get my moose. This is not going to happen. And that was in 2014. It was pretty bad. So, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, other hunters can do, you can kind of complain about it 
or you can do something about it. Um, let me tell you what, and I talked about this on a podcast recently, but it's just like, hey, uh, Foundation for Wildlife for all you Idahoans, and you don't have to be from Idaho to join this, but it's 35 bucks for a year, and all your money goes towards trappers reimbursement. And these guys are getting reimbursed. You have been, you're a member, you've been reimbursed and you get like, you know, your ammo, your gas, whatever, 500 bucks for a wolf. If you trap one, maybe it's a thousand bucks for the wolf. You know what I mean? Like it's not, you're not going to get rich wolf hunting, but it could help offset your efforts to help manage our wildlife. And it's a, it's a great foundation. It's one of the only ones I actually can stand behind and, uh, I think they do a really good, uh, really good job. And the director's Justin Webb. I've met him uh, in person. And got nothing but great things to say about him. How long have you been a member? I've been a member. Well, it all started when I archeried those wolves back in uh, I say it's, it's 2000. I gotta go back in my memory bank. 2017, I archeried three three wolves, and I was only able to recover two. And when I told Trav, the first thing, he's like, did you get on video? I was like, no. He's like, well, disappointed you there. Second thing, are you signed up for the Wolf Foundation? I was like, oh, I forgot to do that this year. He's like, you're an idiot. You would have just, <laughs> just made a thousand bucks. And I was like, oh. So ever since then, I, I, always, I always got into the Wolf Foundation and made sure I was a member. And... Yeah, and even if you're not able to go out wolf hunting, if you become a member, you're helping us. You're helping any trapper that's spending time out here. Um, there's an individual up here, him and his son, and I won't give him the name just because he's he's a bit secretive, but he's he's almost up to 70 wolves since 2011. And he is retired, and he could be doing a lot of fun things with his retirement. What he's doing is he's wolf trapping full full time in the winter. And he is, he has helped more than any person I know when it comes to trapping wolves. And, and so just being a member itself helps fund for the traps, helps fund for the fuel. And, and it was helpful for me because yeah, when I harvested my wolves, I was like, sweet, I got a check in the mail from the wolf foundation. And, and everybody wants to get paid and, and the foundation wants to pay you. That's what the whole program's all about. We want people to get out there and hunt wolves. People, it's hard to get into hunting wolves because they're just so intelligent. It's a completely new ball game with hunting. Um, there's just so much skill that's required into understanding them. Um, but just myself doing it now and doing it for a couple years, I'm actually starting to, you know, starting to become a little bit easier and wolves are getting more and more predictable. But I mean, they are an intelligent critter. They they're really smart. No doubt, man. And I appreciate your efforts, and I'm excited to see what you can kick up. So, did Idaho just change the rules on wolves a little bit? They did. Um, they just up. They'll they say 15 trapping tags and 15 hunting tags, but you can actually hunt on trapping tags or vice versa. Um, and so, um, you can literally, if you're good enough, you can kill 30 wolves a year. Y'all, did y'all just hear that? That's how bad we have it in, in Idaho. And, you know, we talk about elk hunting on this podcast, Tom. It's like, you know, a lot of guys are like, man, I want to come to Idaho and I want to hunt northern Idaho. And I'm just, 
I always kind of discourage them. I'm just like, we don't have our crap together yet. These wolves can make a living here because the timber, you know, it's not like they can really, you know, they can duck and hide and dodge. And so it's 30 wolves per person, technically speaking, is insane. And like you said, for me, the only reason why I still hunt here is because it's convenient because it's next to my house. If I had a choice, I wouldn't hunt here. I do everything I can to hunt elsewhere, especially for mule deer. I'm I'm out of here for mealies. Like our mealies are completely wiped out. Any animal that doesn't migrate don't doesn't move much for migration when it comes to snow pretty much gets wiped out by wolves. The only thing that's safe are elk and some whitetails because they'll pull all the way down to the valley in the winter where the wolves don't like running because they know they'll get shot. But anything that has to stay up there in the wolf country just get slaughtered so our muleys and elk are not doing well right now and the caribou um, are gone and the caribou are completely extinct they've they completely got wiped out and i know that they've struggled just i mean they just always struggled but they were always a, pretty much the same number since i was a kid it's like oh there's there's 20 caribou in the selkirk so i was like okay you know you know 2010 20 caribou in the selkirks okay they they the numbers never changed but a wolf pack moved in and it just went from like 20 to zero. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just a short amount of time. And they don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. They try to blame other things for it. But my brother and his friend both trap wolves with Washington fishing game collars. And the wildlife biologist told them if they didn't trap them, they were going to have to do it themselves. It was going to have to be government funded to kill those wolves. But because the trappers were getting them, they didn't have to do it, um, but they were still getting wiped out. You know, the same thing, like I said, new wolf packs would move in and kill the caribou. And they're just trying to blame it on other things. But the people that are local, locally here, they know the truth because we see it. It's not logging that killed them. We haven't logged in those mountains for, thir- we haven't logged in that caribou area for 30 years. There's... There's no road access back there. Everything's closed off. All those roads are brushed back in. Everything's back to its natural habitat. So you can't blame people. You can't blame anything but the predators. And that's that's really what did it. Yep. And, and, and the same thing with that very same drainage, that's where the moose and muleys disappeared in that drainage. And so it's just, it's it is unfortunate that some people that don't live around here get this information and they make up, they pretty much make up the information and they, and it somehow makes the news. And we're all sitting here scratching our heads. Like, did you really just say that it's the ticks killing our moose? That's not a thing. And yeah, sorry, I won't rant too much. I love it. <laughs> no, man, it's, it's tough being logical today. So let's break down how to kill wolves. Um, we're going to get into it. Do you use a sled? I have a sled to borrow, but I don't use it quite often. Um, I have been using a four-wheeler. We have trucks that we can put on it. Okay. Like, how do you get back in there? Like, that's my handicap for wolf hunting, honestly, is I even have a cabin in some wolf-infested mountains, and I just can't get in there. I don't have tracks. I don't have a sled yet. But how how does a guy get in there? Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yes. A sled would is necessary. So... So I'll actually tell you just a recent story. And this was actually blown away. So it's, so this is one of the things that the wolf surprised me is that, you know, the high mountains, it snowed up to 20 feet, you know, and 
And so typically the animals pull down in their wintering range, the, the wolves follow them down. And so last month, um, some really good friends of mine that are hardcore hunters, just like me, they said, Hey, we got a snowmobile. Let's find that wolf pack. Cause for some reason, the wolf trapper's not seeing them down low that where he normally sees them. So we went up high and about 5,000 feet in elevation. We cut the wolf tracks. Wow. The, those, that wolf pack, and this is after a fresh snow. So we knew if we find the wolf tracks, we're within 10 hours behind it. And those wolf tracks were going up the mountain the direction we wanted them to. It's like, well, this we were on snowmobiles and they're like the top of the top of the top newest. And we were going up and up and up and and we had and up there that powder was like deep. Like if you jumped off your snowmobile, you'd be um chest high. Those wolves are on a mission and they're still going up and their pads, they were floating just as good as a snowmobile was, if not better, mm. with their foot. And they they went up and over the mountain and we actually had to turn around. We could not go any farther to keep following this wolf pack. They went up and over the mountain for some stupid reason, went to the other side. And I don't know if it's just the trapper, just, you know, if they just had a bad experience with that trapper or what, but they just refused to winter on that part of the side, on that side of the mountain where the moose normally pull to. And, and so, yeah, a snowmobile um, works, four wheelers with tracks. Uh, side by side with tracks just to get into there um, this is actually a really good time of the year because it's kind of their mating season um, February in early parts of March this is the I mean this is the time the trappers are just slaying them because they're out looking for a mate the these are about the three-year-old males they get kicked out of the pack and they're looking they're running around trying to make their own pack with a with a female and so um, this is the time to go out and try to kill them Okay, so let's say I'm I get I get a wild hair, I get some time free, I want to go. Um, I don't know if you want to share your tactics, and you can totally tell me if you don't. Um, oh, I can, yeah. Okay, but from what I understand, it's all about getting them located like a locator bugle before, and then you actually kind of have to hunt them like an elk, like cut the distance, get in tight, and then use whatever sound it's going to take to get them to come in, and it's not going to be a wolf howl. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? You nailed it, man. You did. Um, yeah. So, well, right now I think they'll actually come to a howl just because they're they're in their little mating season frenzy. Right. Um, but usually any other time of the year, um, especially like in August, it's that's the hardest part. The hardest part actually, and, and this is just now, now that I know how to call them in, the hardest part's finding them. But if I can find them, there's a, that just hired my odds at 80% chance I'm going to kill a wolf today if I got them located in Howland. One's going to die. And I think that's the part that people have the hardest is that people find the wolf pack and it's howling, but they don't know how to, how to connect with the wolf, how to get one called in. And, and so it was a learning curve for us. So originally, the first time I ever killed a wolf, it was in November, and they came, to, they came into my howl. So I thought, okay, well, howls work with, howl, with calling them in. Well, through time and time again, it wasn't working anymore. I just was not calling them in with a howl. And this was different drainages. You know, you get them howling. Have you, have you had this experience too, where you get them howling and you try to call them in or? Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. And I've never had a predator call with me when they're howling. So I've always just howled back and I, 
And uh, like, so last year, my daughter Avery, I took her shed hunting and it was like, I don't remember what, I think it was April and we hit snow and I had to get off the four wheeler, but there was some South facing stuff. So I just fence post, you know, a couple hundred yards till I got to where South facing and I just carried her and I freaking left my gun in the truck, of course. And I was actually shed hunting. And then this alpha came running down the road and I was like, Avery, you're going to see your first wolf. And I had to kind of wave at him when he got about 40 yards and I filmed it and put it on social and, um, he was a giant alpha. And, uh, so obviously I grabbed her. I, I jammed all the way back to my cabin. That took an hour, grabbed a gun, grabbed my Fox pro, went back up there. And I did a, I did a couple howls on it, nothing. And then I, I did a little bit of predator call, nothing went back to the house. And then I spotted him. And he was by himself again, which was weird to me. And maybe the whole pack was hunting this group of elk that was up there. I could see elk. And they were freaking the heck out because of this wolf. Um, but when I started howling that third that third set, he popped out. And then I went to the, uh, like, a dying rabbit or something. And he never came in, dude. And if he did, I didn't see him. Oh, yeah. So, and I can't shoot out to a 1,000 yards, bro. So... Uh, you probably would have had a shot. Yeah, it could have. Um, I always, yeah, it's worth sl- flinging lead for, especially a wolf. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the way I've been doing it and the way it's figure, I figured it out is a long time ago when I was down in college, Southern Idaho, I ran into a guy that, that's been hunting the salmon. And he told me that he told me the same thing. And I didn't believe him at the time, but he's just like, I'm just predator calling right off, like, he howls, get up, gets him located, goes in and predator calls and he calls him in. And, and so I'm like, okay, well, I've heard that, but I never actually tried it until, you know, and then I archered those ones in 2017. I was just cow calling as an elk, you know, so I was just walking in the woods and I just had an elk call. And I'm sure a lot of us elk hunters, when we do that, you know, we, we're just trying to cover our sound when we're walking through thick brush so we don't jump elk and, and I smelt elk, but I don't know why they were not bugling. It didn't make sense to me. I'm like, there's like, this is the end of September. This bull should be fired up. I can smell a bull elk. I don't know why he's not bugling. And finally, I just, I was just cow calling in there, just trying to move to the other side of the ridge. And, and I caught a glimpse on my left side and I look and a wolf was cut, trotting right at me. And I stuck him with an arrow and the rest of the wolf pack circled him to sniff him out. I stuck another wolf. And so I, and those were two confirmed dead ones and I stuck a third one and that one ran off and I just never found that third one, but I was able to recover the two. Um, but that came with the cow call. I mean, and, and that's actually worked quite a bit for us, but the other thing, just the, just the system, like what we were talking about. So the real way, if a guy wants to go wolf hunting, this is how you do it. First, you got to find the pack and I just locate it with the how it may take some time because you have to. You have to, I mean, it's one pack and one pack can cover a couple of drainages. And so you have to find where this pack is hanging out at, get the pack located. And then I try to do as little calling as I can at first. I, all I want to do is keep them located similar to a big herd bull, you know, and I move in really close and, and I'll just get as close as I can and I'll, and I'll predator call. And if that's dying rabbit or anything, calf elk and i'll just i'll set it off and 
when they decide to come in, that the one thing that's unique about wolves versus hunting elk, elk will hang up, elk will come little ways. When wolves decide to come in, they come running in. They don't, they don't stand around, especially when you're ringing a dinner, you know, this is a dinner bell. And, and so like, if you're sitting there calling and there's a wolf pack at 200 yards and you're calling for a half hour, clearly they're not there anymore. They, they must've left. They must've winded you. They must've sensed something was not right. Well, that makes sense. So almost like a bull elk, get them located, shut your mouth, get as close as possible. Got to play the wind. How do wolves like to travel when you set up like a predator, like a dying rabbit or pups in distress or a calf moose in distress like are they going to come are they going to disperse and and circle you are they going to send like younger ones down to flush it out like how do they work generally speaking we've had it a couple times i mean so different scenarios one scenario where they'll we've had them where they'll come one will come in and the rest of the pack will get behind you and so they're trying to chase you into the pack so when you're calling don't be i mean don't just be looking ahead of you where the wolves are howling. Always look behind you. Trav's killed one doing that. We would, we were, we were calling, and all of a sudden Trav grabs me. He's like, "Tom, Tom, Tom!" And then it disappeared. And it was just keep. There was these flashes. Although we were hearing the wolf pack, the wolf pack was literally like still howling 200 yards away from us in the timber. You know, you could barely hear it. Still faint. There was already. They sent like four or five scouts to come down to check us out secretly without any alarm. And so you're, it's nice to have two guys. So you got eyes looking at all sides. Um, they can do that. Or sometimes the, these actually, these, uh, all the ones I called in this year have all just came straight in. No hesitation. They didn't try circling and it could just be simply because it's a dying animal. So they're just like, no hesitation. They're just like, this is food we're, we got to finish this animal off. And, and yeah, less than a minute in our laps each time archery range i could have actually archeried the, so the three wolves that i killed this year i could have stuck with a bow man that's exciting okay and then as far as like did idaho move to year round or darn near i mean a lot of private ground is private timber which is access yes so no big deal but can you hunt wolves 12 is it 12 months out of the year yet yeah so i want to call them on i want to call them because it says it doesn't go in effect till 2011 or sorry what am I saying? sorry 2021 yeah so 2021 it doesn't go in effect um starts in august and the season ends june 30th that's going to be a really <laughs> that's going to be a really good year to kill wolves i'll be honest because because wolves the other thing too what i like about hunting the the august and september for wolves is they're actually they don't travel near as far either they they seem to really like a drainage and they almost treat one little specific area like a home. And, and so you were talking about earlier how these wolves were, that you saw these wolves, they were dispersed and hunting. I don't like to hunt after single wolves that are just traveling and hunting. I like, what I like to do is I like to find their home base where they all bed down in the day and find the pack because they're not going to move that far where they're at. And you're going to get one or two of those ones that are stupid in the pack. They're going to come and check you out. But then one other thing too, is not just a predator call. So you can use that similar scenario. Like I was talking, locate and move in. But the way I killed my alpha male this year, I actually used a wolf pup in distress and they're so aggressive with that. I mean, the alpha male and female just came barreling out and I, 
and I'd shot the biggest one, of course, and then walked up to him. And I think it was just a dinosaur. Thing was huge. Um, what did he weigh? I mean, I don't know if you weighed him in the field, but if you brought him out, what did he weigh? You think? I I, I would say for what this is what for people that were that have trapped a lot of wolves and the taxidermist had seen a lot of wolves. He thinks between one ten to one twenty. That's a giant. Um, and that's yeah, and so and a lot of the rumors of two hundred pound wolves is non-existent. Like a big, these these trappers that are out and trapping several wolves, their biggest are one twenty. Between yeah. one twenty to one ten is a alpha. And I even had to ask too, just to make sure my eyes weren't playing tricks, because a a male wolf will stay in a pack for three years, and and so people will get the idea. Like, and males always have big heads too, and so people say, "Oh, I I killed the alpha." And it's like, you sure? Because I thought that too. I've done that before. I'm like, oh, I killed the alpha. Took it to the, you know, get it checked in. And they're like, oh, this is like a two-year-old. I'm like, really? Things big. <laughs> but but this one, when I saw this one, I'm like, okay, now this is alpha. Like, I'm pretty sure this is alpha. They don't get any bigger than this. And he had like teeth chipped off and worn. I mean, he's 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 been around the block. Um Yeah. But yeah, between 110 to 120 is what everyone is saying, which is which is standard for a big alpha. They just don't weigh much because they're just fully lean, and yeah, when you skin them out, they're they're not that big around. Um, but it's because they're always traveling. So the tactic does change a little in the summer. Obviously, animals have migrated back to the high country, chasing green grass, and so the wolves are they're cool. They don't have to travel as far. That's really good information, man, because I spend a lot of time scouting in the summer, and um, I find that to be true. I find that the wolves seem to hang out in a couple of specific drainages, usually pretty high, where they can kind of loop through all of them, you know, in a couple of days. And um, and it's like pups, too. It's it's because they can't travel too far because the pups are still somewhat young, and they can travel decently. I mean, they're still – in September, they're about 60-pound dogs, but they – they really don't move much. And even after you kill a couple like that, when I killed that alpha, I killed the pup the week before the wolf pack only moved four miles from where I killed the last one. Wow. And so they, they just don't move much. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's harder to find them because then now with this, like you said, the snow melts, there's thousands of acres you have to pick apart and try to figure out where's that wolf pack hanging out during the day. But they, it's usually the same spot. No doubt. Usually, yeah. How so? How's the death threats? Are those piling up pretty high? What's the worst you've gotten? Oh, I don't even know if I can even say the worst. Okay, then don't. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, we get it all the time. Um, I just don't take it seriously. I just hope one of these guys are never actually serious and come and find me. That's all I. Yeah. But usually, it's it's these guys that have never shot a gun in their whole life. You know, they don't even know how to pull a trigger. They've just done it on video games and and they sit there and it's like, I hope you die in your family and Yeah. And I I I've just learned to not take it seriously. You know, at first it really did affect me in some way. And a Certainly. lot of guys, you know, it's it's hard to get like death threats. But honestly, I'm like, ah, it's just another guy who doesn't understand it. What I've tried to do, and I, I shouldn't interact with some of these people, but I, what I'll try to do is I'll actually try to answer questions or I'll say, hey, do you have questions about why we hunt wolves? And and I've actually had a couple, I mean, actually more than I expected, 
that were actually a little more open-minded and they actually apologized, which is kind of a cool thing when somebody's willing to say, oh man, my bad. I didn't know you guys actually had a wolf problem. But when you get these, I mean, get these guys that just like, they're just, they're just out to troll and you can't talk, you can't change their mind. They're just going to troll and they'll never, they'll never see the problem. You know, they'll never get out of their back, you know, out of their basement and go out and see what's really going on up here. So, um, yeah, yeah, so I've just learned to not take it personally. Um, but I've learned to just leave the comments. A lot of people, I even talk to those Hushin guys and they're like, Hey, like, you know, everybody has their own opinion on what to do with comments. And they said some of them, they just, on videos that are controversial, they they take the comments out completely. I, the interaction actually helps the YouTube channel grow. And so I leave it. Okay. Where, where are you guys at for subscribers right now? For a hair from 80,000. We're at 79.9 right now. Well, according to my stats, there's 20,000 listeners an episode. So... Y'all need to subscribe to Stuck in the Rut and get them to 100K. And obviously, you know that YouTube, being a YouTuber, that's never going to pay the bills with 100,000 subscribers. But it does build your platform. I'd love to see you guys in the industry because you're the real deal. Like, you guys actually hunt and know what you're doing. Uh, Thank you. you. Born that way. And you're stand-up dudes, man. Always have been. I've, I will always defend you guys uh, if need be. But... um. Last thing I want to touch on is you posted something, maybe it was today, but it's about long range shooting and that could be, con- was that today? Yep. That could be controversial, but I remember having Trav on and he was like, no dude, we went full tilt on long range and got so geeked out. And then we started practicing in the mountains a lot. And so we were like literally doing perfect practice it's like the 3D course on the mountain for archers, like total archer challenge. You guys have made your own rifle challenge in the mountains, shooting rocks and gotten really proficient. So let's just finish with a little geek out session on your setup. Let's talk about your wolf, your your gun for wolves, and then kind of like how you practice to be so darn accurate. So my setup for wolves, I'm actually getting a, I'm actually getting a better gun built for wolves. Um, so. I'll, I'll talk to you about the current setup. Our current setup is a 338 Ultra Mag. Um, we've got a proof research barrel, um, Night Force scope. It's a five and a half by uh, 20, like I say, it's a 23 power scope. But the thing that with long range is the technology is really good. And you do have, there is, when you're shooting those longer ranges, there's actually a technique in pulling the trigger. And a lot of people don't know it. It's just so used to pulling triggers at 200 yards, you don't think there's actually a technique to pull the trigger. But when you're shooting those longer ranges, it has everything to do with how you pull the trigger and how your gun's sitting. Um, because that, just the slightest, you know, just, just the gun being tilted is enough for the bullet to be three feet, four feet off at 800 yards. And, and so there's a lot that go into long range. But because of our practice, it's actually, you, we get better skills than we do in close range because close range shots, you're always rushing the shots. Right. And when you're long, when you're longer range that although we edit it to where it's only, you know, a couple, probably 15, 20 seconds long, cause we don't want to bore people. Trav and I will set up. And if there's like a melee at, you know, 700 yards, we'll sit there and look at it for 15 minutes, making sure that 
everything is dialed in because we want one kill shot and and make sure the wind's right and not just the wind where you're at but the wind on the other side so we'll just we'll check the wind on our side and then we'll have to look at some trees and brush on the other side through the scope and see what the wind's doing over there okay if it's moving the same way it's probably the same speed if it's going the opposite direction then we we're having to throw in that calculation too well maybe the wind you know if you're in the the top of a bowl you know before like at the base of a mountain there maybe the wind's just circling and so and so you have to and sometimes you can aim straight on because all your bolt's going to do it's going to drift to the right and it's going to drift back to the left and hit the animal and so you have wind is probably your biggest factor in wounding an animal but the technology behind the the g7 rangefinder is incredible and it's really dials it down and it, it has everything to do with building your gun right too it really does but i am actually getting a new gun built specifically for wolves and it's going to be a little more of a brush gun um smaller scope still run long range scope but it'll probably be highest power is probably 16 but i want to get one that's a little more of like a, a three power two power so i can shoot closer range um that's been my biggest fight is having that five and a half power scope being the smallest power right and when you're trying to get a second shot on a wolf running in the timber at 20 yards and under it's really hard to get a second shot um you just i just needed that smaller power and i would have been able to take the alpha female out too and and then we're also trying to get through the go through the process and get a suppressor so that we can be a little more silent but deadly yeah dude so same same caliber all that 338 i think we'll actually go with the 300 okay um, and then and then just and i'll do uh no muzzle break just yeah i'd say so the 338 is a bit too big of a caliber for if you want to keep the wolf hide i still want to kill the wolf but i'll i'll be honest the 338 is a bit overkill <laughs> <laughs> i, I I brought that alpha male in to the taxidermist and he called me. He's like, what did you kill that thing with? He's just like, did you kill that with a cannon? It's like pretty much. Yeah. 338 ultra mag with a 225 grain bullet. So, um, so I, all I can do with that wolf is get a head, get a head mount, which I think will still look good, but yeah. I, but yeah, if you're wanting to keep the hide and I, and you know, this would be great for muleys and white tails too. It's, and I'm actually getting it built to where it's a little more tactical. I can fold it up, fold the stock up, and I can actually go archery hunting, you know, for elk. And and then if I get in a wolf pack, the gun comes out. So I'm actually the way I'm building it, I'm trying to build it very compact to where I can I can actually take it with me archery hunting and not really feel a whole lot of extra weight. That's that's kind of my goal with that build. Yeah, and I think honestly, like I'm in the same boat, like if I keep hunting North Idaho, dude, I owe it to the elk. Like I got to have a better setup that's packable and I got to stop elk hunting when I'm in the wolves. You just have to stop and do your part. So I'll be interested to see how it goes for you. You're going to have to like let us know and post about it or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I might, I might be a customer, man. If, if you have to, if you end up figuring out the secret sauce to packing a good gun for wolves while elk hunting, sign me up, man absolutely <laughs> cool well dude appreciate you coming on tonight i did i knew we were going to talk about wolves but uh we just talked about them the whole time so i loved it and i love getting to know you man um where can people find more about your brand where can they see the stuff we've talked about and learn from you guys 
Well, definitely, I'd say Instagram as you know as stuck in the rut, and as well as our YouTube channel. Um, you know, you're going to probably learn a lot of stuff from us from Instagram just because we're always posting, you know, certain techniques and stuff there. YouTube's a little more of entertainment. We like to post tons. We are doing a little bit more of some gear reviews. So, so yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, but you, did, the one thing we're just always worried about is, you know, YouTube is always changing their laws and their rules. And so we want, one of our goals too is, I mean, just sign up for both. And just in case YouTube ends up saying, hey, we don't allow hunting anymore, because we've seen some few things that have scared us and scared other guys who do who does YouTube. So. Um, so, yeah, just in case <laughs> we have to we have to post our videos elsewhere. Um, but YouTube has been good to us as of late. And I've been able to contest some. They used to actually really restrict my wolf videos. YouTube did. And I've been able to contest them and bring them back on. So. Um, they are making it a little more uh, user friendly and they were trying to do something with the kids like because there was kids watching videos and they wanted to make it more friendly. So now they there's a YouTube for kids and I think they're allowing hunting videos and other videos that I guess are more adult like, although I, I have my own opinions with that because I think hunting should be watched. The kids should watch it, um, but it's at least they're not they're not flagging us anymore near as bad or, or making us take things down. So, yeah, I've, I haven't made, they've asked me, is your video suitable for kids? And I've just put no every time, even though they are like, they're just stupid videos of me shooting, working out, elk calling. Um, I did, I've never known what to do there. And yeah, I did. Yeah. Do it for adults. Cause I mean, don't, don't set it up to where it's 18 years or older. But right. just, yeah, just do it for adults because literally what they'll do if you do kids is like no adults will see it. It'll just go to the kids. Yeah, I don't want that. My kids watch kids YouTube and I see the crap that they watch. It's like adults playing with toys and silly voices. And I'm like, how like give me the give me the device. You're done. We're not watching that. So uh, but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, yes, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah I agree with yeah. Yeah, and how old are your little ones? Uh, I got a two-year-old and one that's coming up on one here <laughs> shortly. So they're they're two really close together in age. Um, yeah, just that's that makes it harder to hunt. I tell you what, but I'll still do it. No doubt, man. Well, I love hearing about your stories. We got a mutual friend, Jeff Bynum, and. Uh, dude, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, guys go follow them, go check out their channel. They're awesome. North Idaho boys who just straight up get after it. They're gangsters in the mountains and, uh, appreciate your time, man. Stay on the line guys. Thanks for listening to the Elk Shape podcast. Separation is in the preparation and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. Hey guys. Well, pretty cool episode. Tom, thank you again. You are great guys. Go check out their YouTube channel stuck in the rut. And if you are interested in some of our, you know, call to actions, if you will, or discount codes for you listeners, check the show notes. A couple mentionable ones would be number one, the Wilderness Athlete, your first order, save 30% with the discount code ELKSHAPE30. If you're in the e-bike market, please check out Baku. And if you're going to pull the trigger, use the discount code ELKSHAPE400, knock $400 off that bike. Uh, We have some other cool little goodies. Check the show notes. Check out our YouTube. Keep hustling the name of Better Elk Hunting. Appreciate y'all. Have the best week ever. I'm out.